0: What's up, everybody? It's the hour. Sinister hour. It's Rachel. And Emily. And do I have a murder for you? It is an unsolved case, and it is from the... It's way back when. So, I think it happened in 1931, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so, (laughs) first I want to start with background. So... It's going to be, God, where do I want to start? That's the, okay, so we'll start with her husband. Okay, so her husband's name is William Herbert Wallace. He was born in Cumberland in the 1878. He had a younger brother and sister. He left school when he was fourteen and became a draper assistant. So practically a draper assistant because you know way back when they left school early to go work. Mm -hmm. You know, that type of thing and stuff like that. So he didn't have a bad childhood. His childhood everything that I read up on that I could find, it said that his childhood was fine. He had he was just a regular home. He had good parents, that type of thing. They raised him well. But he left school when he was fourteen. He became a draper assistant, and a draper is kind of like uh, an Englishman, like who go and sell like cloth, sewing kits, and they go to like a lot of different cities and towns and stuff like that, even like different countries to sell stuff. So that's what he did. So he became he was a draper assistant for the Borough and Furnace, Lancashire. Mm-hmm. I, uh, if I said that right, I hope so. Um, And then he got a position in Manchester with another company after he had been uh, the assistant after he got done with his um, getting out of his little thing and stuff like that. And he wasn't an assistant anymore and he finally got through all that. He, He switched. I think it was like a whole five years. I'm pretty sure. And he gets a position in Manchester. And then, after that, he goes and becomes uh, part of the Outfitters at the British Armed Forces and the Colonial. And then, um, then he did the Indian Diplomatic Services. This is just the things that I found that they had recorded on him. So, it's nothing that has, like... Super significant, but it's just where his locations were all this time. Yeah, where he came from. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, and then 1903, after five years of service, he transferred again to India where he stayed for two years. So that's where he lived the whole two years is um, Shanghai. No, not Shanghai. That's next. Sorry. His uh, India. And then after he had lived there in India for two years and he was still a Draper. So he still went to like different cities and towns and stuff like that. So he was still a Draper. He, um, he lived there for two years and then his brother lived in Shanghai, <laughs> lived in Shanghai and, um, and he suggested to him that he come and actually moved to Shanghai So, what I mean, he's already moved like so many times, you know. So, I mean, for him, it was nothing. He was like, okay, so what did he do? He got up and he moved to Shanghai with his brother, and he lived there for about, well, like five ish years, I would say. And then after that, he moved, he started having like health problems, you know, because they're from, they're not from anywhere over there and stuff like that. So, he, um, he started having like really bad degrading health. And then just started like his health just started plummeting down and stuff like that. And he had really bad kidney problems. So he left Shanghai finally moved back home. And then when he moved back home, he had to get a kidney. um, He had to get his kidney taken out and replaced, I think. No, he just had it removed. He had his left kidney removed because he was, his health was so bad. He had a kidney disease. Well, after he had moved back and all of that had happened, he moved back in 1907, only a little bit's recorded from that time till when he got his um, position working for the Liberal Party and Harrogate, rising to the post of elections in 1911. This is where he met Julia. And Julia, everybody thought actually way back when was, um, her maiden name was Throp, but actually it's Dennis. So her actual name is julia nanny dennis yes and she was born in 1861. Uh, she's very talented she's very artistic she could sing she played piano Um, she spoke fluent french you know Mm -hmm. it was talking about how everybody really loved her how she was um there's nothing like wrong with her you see what i'm saying like they thought that she was a very nice that type of thing well when she was growing up, she had her family was slightly poor and she was orphaned at the age of 14. So she had six siblings in all, but by the time she was orphaned, she only had three because three of them had already passed away. So her mother died first in 1871, giving birth to her brother. Okay. So, and after that happened, you know. Way back then, they needed, like, the woman of the household, you know? Well, they get there, and the woman of the household, and so after she passed away, after giving birth to her brother, she, um, they had to give up the farm in 1873, so our brother was born in 1871, and just two years later, they had to give up the farm, because I'm guessing it just couldn't function, because... She, she had passed away, you know, they had all these siblings and stuff like that. Well, in 1875, their dad dies from liver disease. So, they it made her an orphan at 14. Well, in 1881, she becomes a governess and takes care of three children. So because she was so good at like piano and flute and French and stuff like that, it made it easier for her to become a governess. She was working with this woman named Charlotte Smith, mm-hmm. and both of them took care of those three children all the way up until the early 1890s. And then, I mean, so she was there for like 10 years, governess and those three, those three kids. And then in the 1890s, she moves to the Elm House woods fork yorkshire where she takes care of four children this time and then she takes care of them for i would say for another 10 years and um in this time in 1892 in between her moving and stuff like that her grandmother actually dies leaving off her property for all her siblings but she doesn't ever like take the property or move or anything she doesn't move until the eight early eight oh just kidding early 1900s she moves to london and she's living in a flat above a shop so she has like a she moves back to london and lives in on top of (laughs) on top of the shop and um it's it's a actual drug company like um pharmaceuticals i'm guessing i'm guessing it was like a pharmacy so after that happened um in 1908 (laughs) (laughs) no i can't (laughs) for some reason that did not come out anyways in 1908 she returned to yorkshire and was living there with her sister annie and they lived together until 1910 and then, in 1911, she lives in Haregate in Hargote Gate, I think. I'm not I'm 100 percent sure how to say it. North Yorkshire, and that is where she meets William. And then they start dating. Then her and William date for three years, and then in 1914, she marries him and becomes Julia Wallace. And it all sounds so normal. No, I know. And they didn't have, like, even though she was orphaned, she was already 14. So she only grew up a couple more years and then that became a governess. Mm -hmm. So, like, neither of them have really had, like, like Julia's was the worst end because, you know, she did end up orphaned and stuff like that. But William had a fine childhood. There's nothing out of the ordinary for either of them. Okay, so they meet each other and what you find out after like going in, which I don't 100% know if William knew this or not, but she was older than him. She was actually 17 years older than what pe- she made people believe. 17? 17 years older than what she made people believe because she didn't even look she didn't look like it. But why would she make people think that she was younger? Um, it really didn't, it it didn't come out and say why she initially did that, but I know that her and William both had an age gap in between their age, but, um, her and Williams, they were married for 16 years, okay, but both of them together, they actually, you'll see that, um everything that I found that when people were like talking and stuff like that, they had a normal marriage. Like they said that they could tell that they loved each other. They both had artistic like abilities. Like he would play the violin and they would have music nights where he would play the violin and she would play the piano and they would play together. I mean, they were together for an entire 16 years before she passed away. <laughs> that sounds very Hallmark movie. I love it. I know, right? Like, <laughs> How cute is that? I, so you're telling me, hey, you know what? When we get home, we got to thank like. I don't know when I don't, I'm not 100% sure when like the first TV and radio and stuff like that came out, but like oh, not until, like the 40s. I say sit they're sitting there and they're like, hey, let's just go home and play all these musical instruments together. I mean, I, I think about being their neighbor, so I'd be beating somebody's ass if they were that one. <laughs> I know. Okay, well, <clears throat> okay, so this is where. I just wanted to give a little background information between her side and his side. So they're both relatively normal people growing up, right? Okay, so there's nothing like really extravagant that happened in either of their lives, that type of thing. Well, they are married for an entire 16 years. Well, in one night in January of 1931, it was January 19th is when it started. So yes, it's a little confusing, but let me go into it. So, William liked chess. Well, there was this chess club in Liverpool. And on January the 19th, 1931, William leaves his house because his his wife's not feeling that good either. But he goes to that meeting in Liverpool. Now, he's not usually, like he's more of a, even though he signs up, that's not 100% sure that he'll show type of thing like he was kind of flaky you know well he actually attended it this time so he goes and he he goes to the thing and when he's there you know they're drinking you know hanging out you know doing the chess thing and he gets a message somebody walks up to him and it's the owner and he's like hey before you came we got a phone call and they had a message and they left a message for you and the message was um for him it was asking him to come to an address, the 25 Menlo Gardens East Liverpool, at the day after this. So it would be at like, um, so it would be January the 20th, the day after this, and meet him at that address at 730 so that they can um, close an insurance thing because that's what he did now was sell insurance. And they were, um, so he wanted to get it to sell the, his insurance policies because that's what he does now so he could, you know, make money, that type of thing. So he leaves. So that's, that was what the, the message said. And the person who supposedly sent it, his name was R. M. Qualtroff. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I said that complete, completely the best, but that's, that's how it is pronounced. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. yeah Qualtrow, right. right? Yeah. yeah that's what I was thinking. Yeah well so he gets home and stuff like that and it's the next day it's January the 20th well Julia's home and he's home well he leaves and he goes by streetcar to the address that is given other he finds out though that the address that is given isn't a real address so at the time well he didn't realize there's a north-south west and I think that's it, north, south, and west, but there's no east. And it told him to go to the east one. So how ironic is this, though? Okay, so he leaves. He leaves his house, and he goes to the supposedly address to sell this insurance policy. Well, when he's going around looking around and everything, he not only has eyewitnesses, but he has, like, he talked to a police officer. The police officer told him, you know, That address don't exist that type of thing. And he started going to different people's houses. He searched for an entire 45 minutes before he gave up and decided to go back home. So he leaves and he gets back home. When he gets back home, he can't open up the front door because it's locked and he can't open up the back door. So supposedly he had tried both doors and both of them were locked and he couldn't open up either of them. Well, his neighbors come out and they see him in the front lawn and they're like, Hey, do you need some help? You know? And he's like, um, they had given them a extra key and stuff like that. I'm guessing for whatever that they used, (laughs) they used a key, um, gave them, they had an extra key. So anyways, They're like, well, why don't you go try the back door one more time? So he goes around. He tries the back door. And for some odd reason, the back door opened this time. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So he goes in there and they see that she had been beat to death in the middle of the floor. And it was so bad that like, you know, trigger warning. But like they said that you could see her brain because she had been hit 11 times in the head with a blunt object. Oh, my God. Yes. So, the police, so he yelled at them. He was like, "Um, you'll have to come see. She's dead, you know. And when they come in there, um, the neighbor's like, don't touch anything. Don't touch her. Don't touch anything. I'm going to get um, like an ambulance, paramedics, like a doctor, and the police. So, when the police get there and stuff like that, um, they see that they had like one of those fireplace you know those pokers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. or two of those were missing so they think that those were probably the objects used to kill her okay well at the time they it took them two weeks before they arrested William but he was already a suspect okay so after this happens they arrest him for they arrest him for the murder of his wife Okay, so this is what gets kind of confusing and what makes it hard and wide and soft. So, originally, the police officers had him as a suspect and arrested him for the murder of his own wife. Okay, well, the digging that you find out is that <sighs> the time of death for her from the corner is when he came and he saw her. He said he determined by the rigor mortis that she was killed. At 8 p.m. Well, at 8 p.m., William wasn't there. He was across town. Remember? Well, he has witnesses and police officers and people telling him, you know, so that's where he is, right? So, that happened when he was clearly on the whole other side of town. Um, So, at the time, at the very beginning, they're like, well, they didn't think it could be him. And that's why it took two weeks before they arrested him. So... At the time when he was arrested, he was 52 years old, okay? So, he was an older man. Don't get me wrong. He's not old by all means, but he's older, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, the police thought that he could have still managed to do, kind of put all this together, kind of. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so, they find out that the phone call that came to the restaurant that he was at for the Liverpool Chess Club. For the Liverpool Chess Club. Um, it was from a phone booth. Booth. <laughs> it's was from a phone booth that was um, 400 yards from Williams' house. Mm-hmm. So they figured he could have made the phone call, left in enough time to make it to that um the chess club meeting and still have, you know, um, got there in time to where he was that time. You see what I'm saying? When they handed him the message and stuff like that, that it still could have all played out. And, um, so when they talked to the guy who took the message, he was like, no, I took the message and I would have known if it was his voice and it wasn't. So that was the first thing that was a little odd. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the police figured that he could have made the phone call, left, got the message and then came back home the next day and left. And they said that the using the um, technique of rigor mortis isn't like 100%, um, you know, time of death. You it's know? not accurate, yeah. Exactly. I couldn't think of that word for some reason. Yeah, it was not 100% accurate. So they figured that if the rigor mortis was wrong, that he could have went and made it to have to for the witnesses and stuff like that seen them. Okay, so so they played it all out. So they had a younger officer play the whole killing out, stuff like that, jumping on the streetcar, going across town, looking, having people see him, that type of thing, getting witnesses and stuff like that. And make it back in time for them to catch him. For them to catch him um outside his house with the doors locked. Well, what they didn't take into consideration is that William's 52. The officer who played this was, like, in his 20s who, you know, could really be running and stuff like that and well, be, to be able to, you know, function with yeah. having all of this, like, going around. Well, not to mention it. he's also had, like, previous health issues. He doesn't get around, good, uh, you yeah. know, as well as somebody who would be perfectly healthy. Exactly. So they didn't take that in consideration. So with... So a lot of all the evidence that was placed on trial for him was all circumstantial from the police. Okay. Okay. So at this time he gets with the the attorneys and everything. So he only had used only had one attorney. He didn't think he was going to get convicted because he had, you know, eyewitnesses and stuff like that. And anyways, he got convicted on circumstantial evidence only. So it took the jury, jury not only, just an hour. That was it. An hour to go convict him. It sentenced him to death by hanging. Yes. Oh my god, he got sentenced to death on a big game of ifs. Yeah, on, uh, on solely circumstantial literally. That was it. Solely <laughs> <laughs> on circumstantial evidence only. Okay, well, so after that happened, it only took him, I mean, as soon, as soon as it happened, he was like, oh, you know, oh shit, you know, I didn't think this was going to happen, so what did he do? He wrote to the Court of Appeals and started getting more lawyers. Anyways, he, he went to, um, he got more lawyers, obviously, because he finally knew he needed them, and so he got more lawyers, because obviously he needed them, you know, because of He didn't think he was going to get convicted on solely circumstantial evidence only. Okay. Well, another thing that, so uh, anyways, I'll get to it. So after this happened, he went to appeal court. You know, he was like, listen, I was convicted on circumstantial evidence only. You know, he was like, uh, they didn't take into consideration I'm 52 years old. They didn't find any blood on him. And then the people who said whoever had to commit the crime would have had blood on them. He didn't have blood on him. There was no blood in the sinks or anything at his house. And they said if they would have taken in consideration the time they would have taken him to clean up, clean everything, put new clothes on, he would not have made it there in time. So all of, his, all of it, you see what I'm saying, there's all these reasons and stuff like that that it wasn't him. So his thing got overturned. Okay. So he was no longer convicted of her murder. And he was completely set free. Well, he went back to work. And obviously, Mm. even though he was never convicted, you know, people still was like, he still had that rap that he was convicted. You Mm. see what I'm saying? And so even though everything was overturned, you know, it still was too different for him there. So he moved. So he moved. And when he moved, it only took him two years and he died because of his health so not only did the toll from the like court and all that happening with his wife and everything it took such a hard toll on him him and his health that he two years after this happened he passed away well this is where all this speculation comes in okay so all this happened so this is called the locked room murders okay or murder so there's a lot of speculation there's been books written on it and stuff like that well after years of this, after the murder had been committed, somebody wrote a book about there being another suspect (laughs) that was questioned and stuff like that. Well, this is where the speculation comes in because the person who wrote the book could not say, um, how do I put this? They couldn't um, say the name and stuff like that. Cause there's no crime that they had been committed and stuff like that. And so they had to wait practically. Well, You find out that the person that they're talking about was Richard, I think is his name, Richard Perry. Yes, Richard Perry. He worked with William. Okay. Well, there's a lot of speculations that him and Julia could have been having an affair. And that she wanted to tell her husband about it and he got mad and killed her. Okay, so that was one of them, but Richard, but Richard was only 22 at the time, and she was like, you know, late 50s, early 60s, so she was a lot older than he was, okay? Well, they had um, his ex... Okay, so we were at the part to where, anyways, oh, another thing to just go ahead and put in there that um, right after William left, a milkman saw Julia coming out of the house. So the last person to see her alive was the milkman. And there's a witness who said, you know, the milkman said that he saw her. So that was another reason it couldn't have been William maybe who knows maybe it was william we'll never know anyways so the milkman did see her but the dude that i was talking about richard perry he worked with william so there was there was things that said that they could have been having an affair but he was 22 and she was like late 50s early 60s so you know she wanted to come out and tell her husband and he didn't want that you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. well his ex at the time said that he had an alibi that he was with her well she recanted that statement after they had broke up and said that they were never together so was it a bitter ex (laughs) so was was it her being an actual bitter ex and just recanting it and just saying that she recanted it just to you know, through off the investigation or just to be, you know, an asshole to him, that mm-hmm. type of thing? Or was she actually not with him that night? And she said that she was and he's the one who actually killed her. See, and then there's another one that said he killed her to get back at William because William had him cover his shift and when Perry was putting in numbers, messed up the numbers. And William had like told, you know, told on him or something like that, and that he got mad at William and to get back at him, he killed Julia. I mean, it's that's uncalled for. I know. And then there's another thing that was said that he could have made the phone call, Perry could have made the phone call, just be an asshole. You see what I'm saying? Have him go on a wild goose chase, but not know that this was actually gonna happen. You see what I'm saying? And right. then the phone call not even be tied to the whole thing to begin with. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Something else just occurred to me. Yes. So they sent him to East whatever street, right? Yes. Did anybody ever check out the other streets to see what was there? Like Yes. Um, Perry, uh, not Perry, but William. When he went on that 45-minute search, he went to all the different streets and stuff like that. And was talking to people knocking on houses. And didn't recognize any of those people. Nope. Okay. So it was totally random. Literally totally random. And then um, there's also speculation not only on them but on the neighbors. Because supposedly on their deathbed the neighbors she. the neighbors confessed to killing her. On a robbery gone wrong type of thing. But another reason why they also speculate the neighbors is because they moved out the day after this happened. Okay, but is that confession not enough to solve necessarily no because the family said that there's always somebody there with them on their deathbed and none of them heard them say anything like that so the family saying that they didn't say it another people saying they did say it so it's one of those speculating things you don't know if it's true or not so the story behind that is that they say that the whole reason why it could be the neighbors is that they could have sent him called And sent him that message to have him on a wild goose chase. And they were going to kidnap their cat. And then hide it so that when the wife would go with Julia to look for the cat, he could use that key to get into their house to steal their valuables. And then when they came back, the robbery had already happened and they don't know who it was. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, when they sent him on the wild goose chase, they had thought Julia went with him so when they used the key and came into the house or if she let them in anything like that they said that her back was turned so she could have known them or you know she couldn't realize they were coming in so if they had that key and they came in and she didn't realize supposedly he could have freaked out and then grabbed the little um what are those called the poker thing? Yeah, the poker things for the um the, the fire. The fire and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he could have I, he grabbed that because, you know, he like freaked out and then started hitting her with it. But who would hit her eleven times to where literally brain matter was going everywhere? You see what I'm saying? So yeah. that's why they think it's an act of passion. And then somebody this is why I think it I don't know anything, but I literally there was a witness who supposedly, at the time that William ha- was already in jail and everything, a witness came forward and saw that said that they saw Perry, that they saw Perry cleaning out his truck, and in his truck they saw bloody gloves. Weird, exactly. But they said that they didn't want to take it in consideration because they had already had William arrested for the murder and go through trial for the murder. Right. So, did it actually happen? Or did they just completely overlook anything like that because they thought they already had their man? So, who do you think did it? Oh, my gosh. You know, it would. I would think that it wasn't just a burglary. burglary, Because, like, they didn't take a lot of stuff. They said that when they burglarized the house, it was just barely anything that they had taken so, the okay, so it just blows my mind because if you really think about it, if you wanted to speculate the neighbors, you literally could because that would be an, an understanding, you see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, because that's like a story that could happen. Now, the Perry thing, but see, the thing is, it's like, when I read everything about their marriage and stuff like that, I heard that they had a good marriage. So, I wouldn't think, you don't know who people are, so... What if she was having an affair and nobody knew? You see what I'm saying? Right. And then the person who who actually killed her was that dude. or, Or if it wasn't Mr. Richard Perry, what if it was a complete other person that nobody knew about that she was having an affair with? Well, if she was having an affair, surely there would have been a witness saying, oh did you see him going to their house while the husband was gone or oh did you see her travel to this guy's house i just feel like if it was a burglary a burglary like they wouldn't hit her so many times you see what i'm saying yeah. like they wouldn't just intentionally grab a poker and hit her 11 times and then another thing like how would it even have been all of it is just so played out you see, what I'm saying like the whole thing is just so played out that the, you only have a couple minutes for anything to happen, and you literally—it's—it's it's definitely a story because it's just weird to me. Because sure, hitting her eleven times is kind of excessive, yeah, and it looks like it was obviously somebody that wanted, wanted her, to, her wanted her dead, like it yeah. was out of passion or out of hate, whatever, however you want to say yeah, it, yeah, exactly. But also, what if it was just burglary, and somebody panicked, and they wanted to make sure she was, like, dead, dead, because they saw her. Exactly. So see, that's exactly what they were speculating about the neighbors, because they were, like, literally, they went in to, like, burglarized the house, obviously. But they didn't expect her to be there. So yeah. when she saw them, so when they saw her, they freaked out, and then automatically just hit her. And then, I mean, some people were just fucking crazy, too. What if somebody just went in there to kill her? what if it was just who knows just an act of randomness you see what i'm saying but yeah another question that still still i don't understand is if he tried the front if he tried the front and back door and both of them were locked who unlocked the back door again between that time i wonder if somebody was still in the house and hiding that's what i was thinking myself that's why i said what if it was an act of randomness and literally somebody was already there Oh, you poor and literally be anything you see what i'm saying yeah. mm-hmm. because like who unlocked the door because he said both of them were unlocked Or, both of them were locked. You see what I'm saying? So, like, if he went to the back and it was already locked, who unlocked it? So, what if he went to the back, it was locked. He came back around to the front where they found him. And as he came back around to the front where they found him, the person was leaving the back okay you see what I'm saying? that's a really good theory too i know and that's why the back door is unlocked now because they went out the back door oh, when he oh, went back to the front where they found him and didn't lock it behind them and didn't relock it and that's how it became unlocked so do we know when he left the house if he locked the door or if he left it unlocked well i'm guessing yeah. that he left it unlocked so because julia was already there you see, what I'm saying, right, so he so. wasn't so worried about it because Julia was there. Was it an act of passion, an act of randomness, or everything just certainly circumstantial? I guess. Who knows? The locked door murder. That is so interesting, dude. No, no, it's still unsolved to this day. And this happened back in the 30s? Yeah. Geez. No. And they didn't have any kids or anything, huh? Nope. No children. Well, you gotta think she was older. older. You know, than he. So. so I- and they met, like, when he was, like, in his 30s. So she would have been, like, in her 40s, probably. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So. It'd been hard to procreate. I see what you mean. But Good for I- them, though. They were living their best life. I know. But that's that's all i got that was my unsolved murder of the week well that was a good one thank you thank you thank you i had a lot of thought and a lot of notes (laughs) it started off a little bit rough because i didn't know what to start with but hey we got there side notes Side note, your notes have been cracking me up because of all the typos. <laughs> I know I could listen. To that. So I got my nails done because I renewed my vows and I'm not used to typing what nails on. So there might be one or a hundred few errors. <laughs> so, it doesn't matter. Nobody else is reading it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what I was going for. But all right. Right. that's about it. Well, happy Thursday. Thank you for listening as yes. always. Subscribe, of course. Always. Please come back if you'd like. If not, I mean, you could still subscribe and just not come back. Either way, just give us the, those those good old numbers. That's all we need, really. Anybody has any any unsolved murders, mysteries, anything that's just damn weird, practically, and want us to look up, you can let us know. Message us on any of our platforms. Anything like that. Facebook dot com slash Sinister Hour Instagram. At Sinister Hour Pod. Oh wait, I did mess up the Facebook link. <laughs> Facebook.com/sinisterhourpod. There we go. Instagram at Sinister Hour Pod. You can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Breaker,
1: and, and I Pocket think
0: Cast. Pocket Cast. That's the new one. Yeah, Pocket Cast. Um, tons of options to listen to us. We're here every Thursday. I try to schedule to put it out at noon. Sometimes I forget and do it later. Um. Anyway, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Please join us again next Thursday. And share us with your friends. I'm sure they'll love it. (laughs) Bye. See (laughs) you.